is an interesting dance we do in Advent. The feeling of Christmas is not yet here, but our culture says Christmas is here. And over the years, I have found you can sing verses from our traditional hymns that are more prayerful of Christ's coming. And thank you for wishing us peace in those beautiful words. Our gospel lesson is from Luke's nativity story. This passage is the famous Annunciation to Mary by the angel Gabriel. Prior to that, the same had been done to Mary's cousin Elizabeth, much older than her. And the two mothers, in a perhaps frightened, gathering strength from one another, Mary goes to visit Elizabeth and When she does, these remarkable words spring from Mary's mouth. It is perhaps the most sung text in the Christian church. In traditions of daily prayer, it is said every day. And one Latin American dictator found it so subversive that he outlawed the singing of it in his country. So listen to what Mary has to say. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm and scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors and to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And Mary remained with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned to her home. The word of the Lord. You'll forgive me a moment of nostalgia. When I was growing up, my father served two churches in rural Missouri, One a small town, and the other five miles away in a smaller town, (laughs) down a country road. And on Christmas Eve, we went to both services. We began in the smallest, and then we moved to the big church service in the second. That moment between was a holy time for me, as I remember it, a drive through the peaceful night of a quiet earth back in an area of the country that is actually dark. Carols playing on the FM radio. And finally, as we made the left turn into town and past the big church, which wasn't ours, onto Main Street and sort of a picture-perfect Main Street with garlands strung across the street lights across the middle just as snow began to fall. It was a wonderful life. (laughs) Set apart. Holy is a word that means set 
apart. And we set apart this time of year by layering it with tradition and memory and beauty and as much love as we can muster. And we do our best to create memories for our children and family and friends to cherish. But those memories can become idealized. One year I described this scene waxing nostalgically and a member of the congregation who was actually a native of Missouri from where I was at talked to me in the line all the way out and he says, Mark, I know good and well that it doesn't snow in Missouri on Christmas Eve. Usually not until January. Well, it did at least once. (laughs) And I'm sticking to that. Over the years, our picture postcards of that holy, those holy moments can become idealized like a Thomas Kincaid Christmas card. And then by comparison, the years that come to us are real, less than they seem, painful. Could be someone was lost this year. Could be that something wished for did not materialize. There is now an empty, or perhaps has been for a while, an empty table, empty chair at the table. A stocking once on the mantle is left carefully now folded in its box. I have a couple of those myself. For others, it's not enough money when the culture says spend, spend, spend. Or you are alone in a season that seems to demand that we be coupled and happy and with children to participate. In fact, we put an immense amount of pressure on ourselves to make this season holy. I was asked once, which is the more difficult season, Christmas and Easter? And I can tell you in an instant, it's Christmas. It's Christmas because of the pressure we are all under at this end of the year to make the season holy. Spring is easier. If I have one gift to give you this Christmas, it's this. We do not ourselves create the holy. We can, in our worship, only ornament it point to its location with songs and words and beauty. I suggest to you that the literary masterpiece, which is the beginning of Luke's gospel, is art. And the key to art is paying attention to what's being ornamented. And in this text, it is God who makes the holy. And God hides the things in somewhere so precious and unlikely most of us fail to look. Mary and Elizabeth certainly were surprised. (laughs) I'm not going to bother explaining to you the difficulty of either of their pregnancies. It's obvious enough. (laughs) How can this be, Mary says? It's a good question. (laughs) The answer in the text is the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and make it possible. The child to be born will be holy. 
As you stumble over the words in the Apostles' Creed of the virgin birth or come across it every year. One of my teachers, a female, once cracked that whatever this text means for us today, it is at least saying that no man can take credit for this. What's important is that this life coming into the world will be holy. And it fits no will, Christmas card, or model of the majority. It is not of dominant power or masculinity. It's certainly not of our rational sensibilities, this birth. The point of the artistic work of Luke is that we do not create the holy. God does. And the first picture postcard Christmas was not an ideal picture. In the eyes of most, it was shameful. Two peculiar pregnancies. One very old, one not so much. The birth will be among the poorest. A child homeless on the night of his birth. And it will be first announced to shepherds. You have had this idealized image of shepherds, which comes to us from the royal language in scripture, which is appropriate. But as a, actually, as a working class in first century Palestine, shepherds were the crystal meth tweakers of their day. <laughs> they would not even be trusted in the law courts, their testimony. This is not a Thomas Kincaid painting Luke is ornamenting for us. Thomas Long puts it this way. It's a preacher I admire for his turns of phrase. It is now that Luke tells us the surprise. God leaves the treasure in a place which was in that time thought to be the weakest of all spots. The womb of a woman. And the first time the gospel is proclaimed with human lips, it is not in the great Roman Senate or in the temple holy of holies. It is not by Caesar or Peter or Paul. It's in a place the world would count for nothing. A conversation between two women. God let the, left the treasure in a woman's womb. And it is in a conversation about stretch marks and swollen ankles that the treasure is first proclaimed. It should be noted. In the Gospel of Luke, the first preacher, the first disciple, is Mary, a woman. And Mary sings a song so powerful and pure it echoes in the air even today. My soul magnifies the Lord. My rejoice, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for God has looked with favor on the lowly. God has scattered the proud, brought down the powerful. He has lifted up the lowly and filled them with good things. It's a good text, unless you're trying to create a tax policy. I'll let you think about that for a little bit. <laughs> it's easy to see why one Latin American dictator did not want this sung every day in the churches and the villages under which he was a tyrant. 
And it's hard to know how a young, vulnerable mother and her helpless child and her... Cousin Elizabeth will do this. Unless by magnifying, my soul magnifies, she says, by magnifying an otherwise unseen fact that all of us, all of us, rich and powerful, shamed or outcast, are each of inestimable worth. Like this holy child, And because of this holy child, God is revealed to be one who blesses all creation, every life that has breath with the holy. How is it that song goes? Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It's the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay lay the world in sin and error pining until he appeared And the soul felt its worth. Mary's soul felt her worth and she sang. All of it, each of us is beloved. And this is the truth hidden in the places that we don't understand. Joy appearing in the minor key, the Christmas, which is not of the Thomas Kincaid painting. In a collection of Christmas stories I have, Angus MacDonald didn't want that kind of Christmas either. He was a wealthy elder of a small congregation in North Haven, Minnesota. Sometimes stories are more important, whether they're true or not, aren't they? We love to tell stories at Christmas time. But this is a Christmas story not of the kind of card that we send. At Thanksgiving, Angus had proudly stood at the baptism of his grandson. There's a moment in his church's liturgy where the question is asked of the people who stand with this child, and everybody stood at once, Angus' chest filled with hubris. It was one of the proudest moments of his life, the baptism of his grandson at Thanksgiving. But not long after that, one of the witnesses to that baptism, Mildred Corey, asked that if her granddaughter, if her granddaughter might also be baptized, the daughter of her daughter, Tina. When Angus heard of it, he said, oh, we should not do that. The pastor suggested that Tina and her husband actually come in and talk about what baptism might mean. And then Mildred said, you know, good and well, Tina has no husband. She's just 18. Confirmed four years ago in that church her last year in high school, she became pregnant and she kept the baby and Big Jimmy, the dad, ran off. And the real problem with that baptism was that to present it, they'd have to endure a less-than-ideal picture postcard of what Christmas was. But the pastor consented, and the church was full at Christmas time. and after the sermon, the baptism, and the lay leader stood, Tina Corey presents her son for baptism. 
and she comes. And it was just as bad as everybody expected it. She was shaking slightly with her month-old Jimmy in her arms. They couldn't afford a fancy baptismal. I'm not a parent. I don't know what the name of the thing is. Singlet? Yeah, baptismal gown. Might as well have been Mary or Elizabeth coming down that aisle. The pastor asks, who stands for this child? No one did. And in that long pause, just as the vows were to begin, Angus had a moment. And in his expensive blue suit, he rose. His wife standing next to him. A couple of other elders. Then Tina's sixth grade Sunday school teacher stood. And then her English teacher stood. And one by one after that, the whole church stood just as we stand today in joyful celebration of Mary. Holy this is. And God hides that holiness in the most unexpected place. And in that unexpected revelation, it is revealed that all souls, each and every one, is the glory of God. It is the meaning of Christmas. And it will bring down the powerful from their thrones and raise up the lowly. My soul magnifies the Lord and rejoices in God my Savior. And even now, somewhere in the darkest night, a powerful tyrant is demanding an accounting. And a pregnant woman is looking for a place to rest. And a morning star arises. And somewhere today in the silent watches of the night or in the bleak midwinter of your soul, there is a new dawn about to break. Emmanuel, God with us. New life about to be born. And it shall be holy. Come, Lord Jesus. Quickly come.